Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi everyone, it's Kareem, the voice of Simon Fairchild and the Eternal Tavern Keeper. Today, I'm here to tell you about Celine, a podcast recently launched on the RQ Network. Step into Celine, a city cloaked in darkness and teeming with horrors. From evil headmistresses to murderous marionettes, black worm parasites, haunted hotels and eerie sleepwalkers. Meet the paranormal investigators of Needle Street, newly arrived to battle the encroaching malevolence. Inspired by Poe, Edward Gorey, and Agatha Christie, their adventures promise twisted mysteries and unforgettable characters. Immersive audio brings the city to life, blending dark humor with bone-chilling suspense. Join the investigators as they navigate Celine's shadows, where mystery and intrigue await at every turn. Experience the thrill of Celine in Dolby Atmos. That's S-E-L-E-N-E. Or visit www.rustyquill.com for more information. Hi everyone, Alex here. I'd just like to take a moment to thank some of our patrons. Jessica Huang, Roxanne Rasco, Nightmare Consortium, Cecile Keel Kirkdale, Hale, William Peregrine. Thank you all. We really appreciate your support. If you'd like to join them, go to www.patreon.com forward slash Rusty Quill and take a look at our rewards. Rusty Quill presents the Magnus Archives. Episode 113, Breathing Room. Chapter 1. 
be less I don't know, crowded. Oh, you know, Gertrude, if something's worth doing, it's worth looking through two dozen unmarked cardboard boxes for. So, what are we looking for? I'm... I'm not exactly sure. It might be um, an old taxidermied gorilla skin, or not. Uh, apparently it should be obvious. Right. Then let's get on with it. So, you actually met Vampire Trevor, then? I mean, I, I met quite a few people from the statements. You remember uh, Dr. Elliot, uh, the, mm -hmm. the anatomy students trying to pose as people who definitely weren't people? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, turns out one of them became a police officer. Or pretended to. Ooh, uh, is that the one that Trevor... Yeah. And he killed it? Um, that's... I mean, it's not a simple... Uh, I haven't done anything yet. Uh, a bunch of eyeless paintings? Snaps! Eyeless dolls! Oh, and this lot of shredded newspapers. Same. Oh, oh, there's a book in this uh, one. Don't touch it. Oh, oh! Right. Let's yeah. not touch any books we don't know. Right. Sit back. It's just a notebook, I think. Um, What's in it? I'm not sure. Uh, names, locations, dates. I, I'll, I'll check properly later. It doesn't look like it's to do with the unknowing, I don't think. Right. Hmm. Huh. So, how was it? Uh, America and, and China. I've never really actually done any, you know, travelling. It's not all that. Sometimes you get shot by a ghost. And refuse to give a statement about it. Yep. It was nice, Martin. It was... It was weird. Paranoia is an odd combination with culture shock. Really rather disorientating. I mean, it wasn't actually paranoia, though, was it? Because I'm... they were out to get you. Suppose that they were. Wasn't a great time back here either. Oh, not Melanie, of course. I'm. I'm sorry. If, if I'd known that Ivy Meadows was. What? Uh, You'd have told me. Let me learn from one of your statements instead of from Elias. I just. I don't see that changing anything. Even so, I. Am. I'm sorry. I don't need your apologies or your pity. Of course. Mom's plan is solid, I think. I mean, they might just kill him. Good. I mean, maybe, but I think they're still our best chance. Even if we did manage to blindside him, I, I don't know how long we could hold him. And in fairness, he's happy enough to use the police against us. Quite. And I'd rather not be staring down a kidnapping charge on top of everything. Uh, John? Yes? I I think I found that gorilla skin oh, you were talking perfect. about. Perfect. Uh, now if or, we can just... Or, I'm um, afraid, uh, what? what's left of it. Oh. Yeah. So, she did destroy it. Apparently. Right. So if that's not what we're looking John, for... John, John, John! What? I, I think I found it. What, what, what is it? What? <laughs> I think you're going to want to see this. 
Good Lord, is, th- is that... Looks like it. Where the hell did she get this? Uh, Martin, don't touch it. Sorry? Is it stable? How I should don't... I know? I don't even know what kind it I, is. I mean, it, it looks like C4. Are you just saying that because it's the only plastic explosive you've ever heard well, of? Well, I, I mean, that, that is it to say... so many other like, things. Martin, like... stop trying to touch the plastic Sorry. explosives. Sorry. Sorry. Guys. Just put your hand okay. in your pockets or, Look, or I said, something. I said I'm sorry. Guys. What? Do you hear that? Hear what? Um, it's like... Oh, God damn it. Okay. Is, is that... What were you thinking I bringing just, that I mean, along? I forgot. You I just, forgot? Like, turn it off! I am. Just give me a second. Turn it off! Statement of Adelard Decker regarding the near-death and subsequent activities of Justin Goff. Statement undated, likely circa 2012. Audio recording by Jonathan Sims, head archivist of the Magnus Institute, London. Statement begins. Gertrude. It should all be here, though God knows I was tempted to take a block for myself just in case. I won't even press you for where you got it, though if some of these leads pan out I might need to ask you to track down some more. I assume whatever surveillance meant you needed me to move it is only keeping track of you, but let me know if there's anything I need to be on the lookout for. Anyway, you owe me a favour. And maybe another one, once you read this. It might come to nothing, but it's something you should probably be aware of. I'll even make it a statement. Give your patron something to keep it satisfied. It's not like I sleep enough to worry about dreams. I was... Pursuing my researches into the new emergence I mentioned earlier, I know you are dismissive of the possibility, but if I'm right, the sudden urgency of these immediate dangers you are so focused on could very well be a direct result. But that's for another day, as this particular instance turned out to be unconnected. The point is, I was alerted to a series of deaths by a coroner friend of mine. Although all signs pointed to carbon monoxide poisoning... The bodies showed signs of acute distress, the sort you don't normally get when you die in your sleep. There was blood pooled in the back of the throat, and the vocal cords were shredded, although no neighbours reported hearing a sound. And most importantly, at all three scenes, there was evidence of a second person who had apparently left without suffering any ill effects. The deaths were about a fortnight apart, and when the third came in with the same symptoms, Bianca, the coroner, called me in. For the last few years, we've had an arrangement. I slip her a bit of cash to feed a nasty habit she has, and if she's called to any inquest which looks strange, I'm the first to know. Despite her weakness, Bianca is still a damn good coroner, and filled me in on the details quickly. The deaths had been carbon monoxide, she said, and by way of example showed me a plastic cup full of blood. It was bright red. Cherry red, Bianca told me. A good sign of CO poisoning. But apparently they hadn't found any trace of the gas in the homes of the deceased. Current theory was that someone was deliberately gassing people while they slept. But Bianca was adamant that as far as she could tell... It seemed to have bypassed the lungs completely, appearing right into their blood as carbohemoglobin or whatever. From the looks on their faces, I could tell two things. It had hurt, and they had never woken up. 
You see why I thought this might be related. Well, hoped more than thought, maybe. The man-made nature of it seemed like a potential link, but it had few of the other hallmarks. Still, I thought it was worth following up on. Finding who was killing these people in their sleep. It's odd, isn't it? Sleep. You can never remember or fully pin down the exact moment you lose consciousness. Just lying there, waiting to find yourself in a dream without the first clue or interest in how and when you got there. Or to find your eyes closed and force them open to sunlight and morning, only realizing that sleep has happened in retrospect. I wonder if death is the same way. No clear dividing line, just gone. Only to realize after it's happened, except for the fact that there isn't an after. Is that a comforting thought or a terrifying one? It depends on who you are, I suppose. It bothered me when I was young. If I thought too hard about the concept of sleep, of exactly what it was, I would worry myself and end up having to turn the light on and read for an hour or two. Everyone always talks about how they want to die in their sleep, but honestly, I think that's the death that scares me the most. But that's a meditation for another day. As far as these deaths were concerned, I was confident there was something turning up in these people's houses and doing this to them. My first thought was a direct manifestation, but the more I looked into it, the more I suspected maybe it was some poor soul who got in too deep. I don't know if my little theoretical is strong enough yet to start taking avatars, but this one, as you've no doubt guessed, turned out to be Terminus. Justin Goff, his name was. He was admitted to accident and emergency at Whips Cross Hospital about two months ago, suffering from, I'm sure it will come as no surprise, acute carbon monoxide poisoning. He had been camping and taken a small barbecue into his tent to keep warm, and it warmed his lungs all the way to the hospital. He was terrified and unintelligible, and then he died for 52 seconds. According to the duty nurse, that is how long Justin Goff was clinically dead before they managed to restart his heart and get him on a breather machine. It's hard to scream with a breathing tube in you, but apparently he gave it a noble attempt when he woke up. The nurse I talked to hadn't been there, but he had apparently had some sort of near-death experience and was describing awful visions to those attending him, muttering obliquely about terrible things he'd had to do to return, and prices that would need to be paid. None of the staff who were present would willingly say much more about it, but it had clearly shaken them. Justin was discharged shortly afterwards and in rapid succession, quit his job, disappeared from social media and cut off effectively all human contact. He became, to all intents and purposes, a recluse who hasn't left the house since. Or so the neighbours would say. I had a suspicion that he was leaving, but by night and for a single, very specific purpose. To pay a debt. While many fall to the powers through love or terror, 
Sometimes it can be as simple as what you owe. After all, most debts are paid out of fear. The hospital refused to give me his address, but I managed to acquire it anyway. His building was a squalid little apartment block. In such a state, I found it hard to believe that he'd had to go camping in order to get poisoned. The windows were well barred against intruders, and I didn't think this was a situation where I could simply knock on the door. So I waited. For two days I sat there, watching the damp eat away at the bricks of that half-rotten building. I was all but ready to write it off and look for another option, when at last the front door opened and out stepped Justin Goff. Now, I didn't have a picture of the man and had been intending to go on the description given by the hospital workers, but in the end I recognised him simply by the thin trickle of cherry red blood that rolled slowly down his chin, and the fact that as I watched him descend the steps of his building and walk out onto the pavement, I am quite sure that I did not see him breathe. He was not a tall man, but his frame was rail thin, and what face I was able to make out was gaunt and hollow. We've both seen our share of bodies, Gertrude, so you will understand what I mean when I tell you he had the eyes of the dead. They moved and they focused, but that subtle glimmer that shows life was wholly absent. All that was left was a skittish sort of terror, as he glanced over his shoulder, desperate to see if he was being followed, and of course overlooking me completely. This worried me. As you know, I'm not by any means a hunter, and if Justin Goff was as far gone as he appeared, it was likely he was no longer human enough for me to remove him without the aid of one, and while I do know one or two I believe are touched by the scent of blood, they are unpredictable, and I was reluctant to call on them in any but the most dire circumstances which I did not believe this to be. So I simply followed him, hoping to get slightly more of an idea of exactly what he was doing. His walk had a certainty to it. I never once saw him consult a map or pause to consider his destination. He knew exactly where he was going, and his steps were slow and implacable. There was an inevitability to his movements, and I think that is when I realised he was simply serving the end, which I won't pretend wasn't a disappointment. But still, I thought if I could deal with him and save a few lives, I might as well. He walked for some hours until finally coming upon a small house down a cul-de-sac near Hackney Wick. It seemed unremarkable, and had nothing to distinguish it from those that surrounded it. He walked up to the door and pushed it gently. It opened silently and he walked inside. So I waited a minute or two, watching for any movement within, listening for any sound that might break the still, humid air. But there was nothing, and I followed him inside. Justin Goff was sat in the main bedroom, his back pressed against the wall opposite a bed, where a middle-aged man lay sleeping. The room was quiet, and at first I thought there was no movement at all, but as I watched, I saw the face of the man in the bed contort and spasm, a 
as though racked with awful nightmares, his chest heaving and convulsing as he struggled to breathe. I looked to the man I assumed to be his assailant, but to all appearances, it seemed like Justin Goff was also asleep, sat in the corner of that nondescript suburban bedroom. But then I saw his eyelids flicker, and I realized what was going on. What is the line between a near-death experience and a dream? Perhaps you do leave yourself, brush against the afterlife and return, but I don't believe it. I believe they are both simply the firings of a brain we no longer have control over. And perhaps, if you make contact with something terrible in one, it continues to live with you in the other. And perhaps it demands you infect others with your fate. I was not quick enough to save the man who lived in that house. Truth be told, I didn't especially try. I didn't think I would be able to move quick enough to do so and was more concerned with being quiet and thorough. The cutlery drawer was largely empty, but after a minute's searching, I did find what I was after. A long metal skewer. Did you know there are certain forms of brain injury that cut you off from your ability to dream? Ironically enough, it's sometimes caused by carbon monoxide poisoning, but there is still no definitive answer about which part of the brain needs to be injured for it to happen. So I made the decision it was better to be on the safe side as I pushed the point up past his eye, sliding it into that little gap between eyeball and tear duct, and up into his brain. I knew it wouldn't kill him. He's too far from human for me to do so. But I thought that scrambling his brain a bit was probably my best bet. And I was right, as far as it goes. He survived what I did to him. And when the police picked him up after an anonymous tip about a break-in, he was barely able to speak. And I very much hope I managed to sever his dreams. I have no interest in pursuing this further, but given the mind's remarkable aptitude for healing, not to mention the resilience of creatures like him, I cannot make any guarantees Justin Goff will remain in the state I left him. And it seems that, as he deals in dreams, it may be worth your while to keep an eye on the statements you take, in case he finds his way here. I'm sure you can take care of yourself, of course, but I thought it would be worth letting you know. Good luck, Gertrude, and enjoy the fireworks. Statement ends. This was found tucked into a hard case containing many blocks of plastic explosive, kept by Gertrude Robinson in a storage unit that I can only assume has extremely lax oversight. It is unclear if she ever read it. You know, after my conversation with Jared, I, I actually thought I was starting to get a, a handle on everything. How it works, the connections between it all. It, it is strangely reassuring to have a statement where, once again, I find myself having remarkably little idea what it's talking about. Justin Goff was clearly an avatar of the end, but I have no idea what else Decker was alluding to. So Gertrude knew Adelard Decker as well. 
I wonder, is there anyone connected to the supernatural that she was not on first-name terms with? I suppose if you spend fifty years as the focal point of horrors, eventually... Everyone ends up knowing you. Or dead. Or both. I know there are more important things to be doing, but I did ask Basira to have a quick search for Justin Goff, see what might have happened to him. There are records of his residence in an East London care facility until 2015, when he disappears from their records. Several deaths among the staff apparently occurred at roughly the same time, and it will come as no surprise that the inquest returned a verdict of carbon monoxide poisoning in each case. I'm not too concerned, to be honest. My dreams are, uh... Well, let's just say I don't think they're going to be letting anyone else in anytime soon. End recording. The Magnus Archives is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. Today's episode was written by Jonathan Sims and directed by Alexander J. Newell. To subscribe, view associated material, or join our Patreon, visit RustyQuill.com. Rate and review us online, tweet us at the Rusty Quill. Visit us on Facebook or email us at mail at rustyquill.com. Join our communities on the forum via the website or on Reddit at r slash the Magnus Archives. Thanks for listening. everyone, it's Kareem, the voice of Simon Fairchild and the Eternal Tavern Keeper. Today, I'm here to tell you about Celine, a podcast recently launched on the RQ Network. Step into Celine, a city cloaked in darkness and teeming with horrors. From evil headmistresses to murderous marionettes, black worm parasites, haunted hotels and eerie sleepwalkers. Meet the paranormal investigators of Needle Street, newly arrived to battle the encroaching malevolence. Inspired by Poe, Edward Gorey, and Agatha Christie, their adventures promise twisted mysteries and unforgettable characters. Immersive audio brings the city to life, blending dark humor with bone-chilling suspense. Join the investigators as they navigate Celine's shadows, where mystery and intrigue await at every turn. Experience the thrill of Celine in Dolby Atmos. That's S-E-L-E-N-E. Or visit www.rustyquill.com for more information.